reading this morning comes from the great and sadly recently late Unitarian Universalist author and poet, Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Love is messy. Today I'm going to tell you a story about love. This is not the love you will find in the greeting card aisles. It is not the love you might see made into a lifetime movie special. I do not think we will see a love story like this featured on those biographical vignettes they play during the Olympics. I love those. Nor do I think any of the presidential nominees will feature this kind of love story at one of the upcoming conventions. This story is not straightforward. In fact, not all of it is about straight love, even. It's a story about humans, humans who are wildly unique, just like everyone else. Human love can be messy. It's supposed to be messy. The story I'm gonna tell you about is so important to me, I use it as a friendship litmus test. If I think I'm going to possibly have a close friendship with someone, I ask if they have heard of it. If not, I ask them to watch this one of my favorite films. If they don't wanna watch it, we're done right there. Move on. If they will watch it, then we can discuss furthering our friendship. Yeah, I'm serious. If you don't get this movie, you won't really get me. Much like people who tell me they don't like frozen custard, I might not be able to be their friend if they think it's the same as soft serve. Or goddess forbid, frozen yogurt. The film is called Antonia's Line. It won Best Foreign Film in 1995. I return to this film because it does not present dogma or doctrine, but rather is a guide for how to participate in community. The story begins with Antonia and her teenage daughter Danielle returning to a Dutch village right after World War II. 
They're going to visit Antonia's mother, who's quite crusty and on her deathbed. Antonia returns to say goodbye to her dying mother and to take over the family farm. Antonia introduces her teenage daughter to all of the town's characters and misfits. We meet the intellectual genius named Crooked Finger, who is a recluse, the widowed farmer with five young sons, who's considered a newcomer since he's only lived in the town for 20 years. We meet the special needs teenager whose cruel brothers torment her, the priest who ends up leaving the Catholic Church because it is too constricting on his happiness and more. As Antonia presents each of these characters to her daughter, they tour the village. Antonia withholds judgment. She describes them as they are, with dignity and kindness. She describes each of their values in the town, as well as their quirks. Now, as a child, I played house a lot. Regardless of who did the casting, I was always the mom. I spent decades being the mom long before I ever dreamed of mothering my own child. A typical question I will ask people when I'm getting to know them is what character you played when you played house as a child. Over the years, I've met people who were the salesman, the mother, the father, the dog, the neighbor, the teacher, or the librarian. I had one friend, now in seminary, who tells me, oh, we never played house, but we played church, and I was the priest. <laughs> None of the characters in this film in Antonia's line fit neatly in the role of playing house. The mother in this film, Antonia, has no partner. The daughter has only one parent. The school teacher later turns out to be the very attractive and beautiful and smart lesbian. The woman who most is in touch with her sexuality, we'll say in the town, later marries the priest. Now I believe that true love, true love is knowing who someone is and accepting them for exactly that. Not what I wish they would become, not for the pedigree they might later hold, but for exactly who they are. If that person changes, and I hope they do, I hope we can continue to accept one another in love rather than prevent their growth or change. This is no simple undertaking to love someone without wanting them to be something else, to be different. I, like most of you, I imagine, have failed at this from time to time. I have sometimes gone into relationships thinking, once they finish school, once they get a different job, once they move out of their parents' house, etc., then we will be good. Then our relationship will flourish. Finally, they will be a good friend. Or then they will be better to be around. Or then we can stop arguing. I don't know about you, but relationships don't really work out that way. That kind of thinking has not turned out well for me, at least. The narrator in the film states, the seasons repeated themselves. 
time gave birth again and again with complete contentment, producing nothing except itself. Time does not necessarily change people. In life, we see a person gets a new job, but they are still miserable. Perhaps they do move out of their parents' house, but are still there every day. The situation might change, but if the person doesn't change, the relationship remains the same. Now back to Antonia. Everything is not perfect in this love story. There are evildoers in the town. There's a molester and rapist and a variety of oddball characters who are not necessarily as evil as that, but maybe not all charming. One by one, some of these other characters, many fall under the kindness and generosity of spirit of the largely feminine power duo of Antonia and her daughter, Danielle. Love affairs develop, but not quite as you expect. As the film unfolds, these women right many wrongs, almost creating a matriarchal society. Their energy offers exuberant relish for life's multiplicity that sweeps up everything in its path. Moreover, loving people who are eccentric, who do not quite fit the mold, well, those are my people. These quirky, smart, warm, and loves lovely townspeople remind me a lot of my beloved Unitarian Universalist. We hear Antonia state, nothing dies forever. Something always remains from which something new grows. So life begins without knowing where it comes from or why it exists. I promised you this is not a typical love story. We never find out if Antonia had been married. She doesn't get married either in the story. We never hear about Danielle's father. And in fact, one day, Danielle says to her mother, Mama, I want a baby. Antonia asks, how about a husband to go with it? Daniel answers, no. <laughs> the next scenes unfold with Antonia helping Daniel find what I'll call a donor to create this baby. Danielle purposely gets pregnant, raising her child with no father in this tiny Dutch village in the 1940s and 50s. Despite shaming and rumors, they all survive, flourish even. Early in the film, Danielle and Antonia walk by a sign that says, welcome, and under it they scratch, to our liberators, referring to all the allied soldiers who liberated the village after the war. But as the film unfolds, these strong women liberating the community from its chauvinism, its patriarchy, its prejudice and conformity, I have to think that sign was for them, too. I have watched this film repeatedly for the better part of two decades. As long as I've been a Unitarian Universalist, I have watched this film. This is a movie where we all hope, we even root for Antonia to take out the most evil character, and yet she still offers him justice. It's a fine example of our second principle. Antonia runs the molester and rapist out of town. 
She puts a curse on him rather than killing him. I see our third principle in how the misfits find their way to Antonia's farm, where they all seem to thrive. Acceptance of one another and encouragement for spiritual growth in our congregations, we see all the ways these imperfect humans grow on Antonia's farm. Her congregation grows with more adults from the farmer to the priest, all making family together. This movie celebrates life and love in many forms. Danielle, after the birth of her daughter, falls in love with one of her daughter's beautiful teachers. Some of the misfits fall in love with one another. While Antonia refuses to marry the old farmer despite his repeated attempts to get her to do so, she lets him know that she doesn't need what he has to offer. She does allow him to build her a cabin in the woods for their rendezvous. In fact, this movie has one of my favorite love scenes of all times, where each one of these characters celebrates their sensuality with reckless abandon. Straight, gay, married, single, and more, they are all celebrated in Antonia's line. Throughout the film, we see family in every form gather in the yard. <clears throat> they bring out all the tables and chairs from her farmhouse, and they eat feasts together. I'm reminded of Sunday dinners at my grandparents' house, gathering everyone around for spaghetti and meatballs. I am also reminded of my own house, where the drag queen sits with the nurse, the transgender engineer chats with the corrections officer. The teacher passes her baby to the playwright, and indeed, there's even a minister at the table. In all my years watching the movie, it wasn't until my closest friend, who I call my brother Michael, watched it, and he called me up to say, Denise, no wonder you like this movie so much. Me, what, what, why? <laughs> Denise, you realize you're Antonia, don't you? Suddenly, my litmus test made so much more sense. Our fourth principle, the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, is seen in the character they call Crooked Finger. He is a true genius and a philosopher. He tutors Antonia's daughter, her granddaughter, and later her great-granddaughter. In one of the theological lessons he's teaching, Antonia's great-granddaughter, Therese, says to her, isn't it terrible? Nothing exists. Antonia replies, that is why there is so much. Despite Crooked Finger's genius, he cannot get over the terror he witnessed in World War II. As I watch the movie, I always expect that the strong love these women shower him with will soothe him and somehow lift him from despair. I keep wanting to see him on one of these bucolic farm scenes celebrating this chosen family and eating dinner with them. But he does not. Crooked Finger remains depressed. He is a recluse. He is himself. They never ask him to change. They value him just as he is. They visit, they bring meals. And sadly, their relationship is yet another reminder to me 
that love is not always enough. Eventually, he hangs himself. No matter how many times I watch the film, I remind myself, wanting him to be different does not change him. He cannot be saved by love. Crooked Finger was himself all the way through. The characters continued to love him. They didn't ask him to come over when they knew he didn't want to. They brought him food. They visit. They make sure he's comfortable surrounded by all of his books. While loving him does not save him, Crooked Finger did not have a desire to heal and he says it outright. He didn't want or sadly was unable to change and eventually he takes his own life. People say all you need is love, but it is not true because love is not enough. With Crooked Finger's death, the movie takes a dark turn with a variety of sad events and as the narrator says, the proverb is wrong. Time does not heal all wounds. It merely softens the pain and blurs the memories. Time conquered time. Sometimes time crept onward slowly like an exhausted tortoise. Sometimes it tore through life like a vulture in search of prey. Time took no notice of death or life, decay or growth, and love, hate, or jealousy. It ignored all those things which are so important to us that we forget time. These lines illustrate our seventh principle, respect for the interdependent web of existence of which we are all a part. Upon first glance, you might see the seventh principle as an environmental pledge to care for all the creatures of the earth, animals, and humans. And upon more examination, we see that all of life has cycles of birth, growth, change, and death. Respecting that cycle means we are honoring all of our interdependent web of existence. In one of the final scenes, Antonia and her great-granddaughter Sarah share their theological questions. Antonia states, nothing dies forever. Something always remains from which new life grows. So life begins without knowing where it comes from or why it exists. Sarah says, but why, Grandma? Because life wants to live. There isn't a heaven either, Sarah asks. This is the only dance we dance, says Antonia. This may or may not be our only dance. As Unitarian Universalists, we are invited to use these principles to shape our communities. In doing so, we probably will not have the characters in a child's game of house all worked out. We will need to make room for the single parent, the misfits, the queer, the marginalized, and all the brilliant creators in our community. I urge you, like Antonia, to embrace chosen family, to do what is right even if it doesn't make sense if you compare it to convention. Doing so won't mean you only have happy endings. 
but it will mean you live your life with compassion. Offer yourself to justice and honor your chosen family. Live your life with joy and passion. Love those who society casts out. Make community and celebrate joy. The seasons repeat themselves, so dance and love the dance. And as this long chronicle reaches its conclusion, nothing has come to an end.